Hey, I trust you all had a very good Christmas. Uh, to all of the parents here, there's only one more week, and the kids go back to school. You can make it. We have a very joyous time of year uh, when we can uh, celebrate again our Savior's birth and look at his coming to earth and all that that means to us today. Uh, I'm not going to do a Christmas message, and I'm not doing a New Year's message. Uh, You're wondering, why are you here uh, today? If you're not going to do one of those, this is the last Sunday of the year. You surely are going to be doing something like that. But instead, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, we are going to look at the New Covenant today, Hebrews chapter 8. I'll give you a little insight into how things work. Uh, Jim asked me a few weeks ago if I would uh, speak this Sunday and said I would be glad to do that. And that always gives me... That always gives me a dilemma. Uh, what do you speak on? Now, if Jim is going through a series, then it's easy. I uh, just do the next chapter or the next verses or whatever, and that makes it that uh, simple. But in an occasion like this, I, where I think most senior pastors take this day off, because they've done the Advent series, they've done the Christmas Eve service, And then starting in January, they've got a new series to begin. And so, what are you going to do this Sunday? Well, you give it to somebody else to preach and let them do it. Uh, But Jim asked me to speak, and so I I looked to the Lord, of course, asked him, you know, what do you want me to speak on? And uh, I was going through the book of Hebrews in my uh, devotional time and looking at the New Covenant, and thought that that would be a good subject. Uh, that would be something I think that would be beneficial, as beneficial to me as I looked at it, and I thought would be beneficial to you as well as you hear it today. Now, I mention that because uh, if you're looking for a connection to the new year, because you thought, well, he's going to talk about the New Covenant, in some way he's going to relate that to the new year, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Uh, if, if you see a connection, see me afterwards. You can tell me about it, and I'll be prepared for the next time. Uh, but we're just going to take a look at the, the, new, the new covenant. Uh, basically, I'm going to go through four points uh, today. I'm going to talk about what is a covenant. Uh, we're going to talk about what is the old covenant. We'll talk about what is the new covenant, and then what are the benefits that are under the new covenant. Uh, Let me pray as as we begin today. Father, we uh, do thank you uh, for the privilege of gathering together today. Uh, Lord, we think of many of our brothers and sisters around the world that are not able to do that or do it out of fear that they might be caught or exposed in some way. But Lord, we can come joyously, freely into your presence here We can come uh, preaching your word, talking about what you have said to us, and freely proclaiming how great you are. 
uh, we, we would never stop giving you praise, never stop thanking you for all that you are doing. Lord, I would just pray now uh, that you would take what I say and speak to people's hearts. Uh, Lord, they do not need to hear from me today. They do need to hear from you. And Lord, I trust that you will do that. I will trust that you will move in people's hearts and lives. Speak to them about the need that they have. Encourage their hearts where that's necessary. Rebuke and bless whatever it needs to be done. Lord, you are a great and majestic and awesome God. And we are privileged as a people to come into your presence today. And we give you thanks for that in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, Hebrews chapter 8. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. We're going to look primarily at verses 8 through 12. But I'm going to read the whole chapter just to give you some context here. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is acted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed them no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and as what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what is a covenant? As we look at that, 
Now, covenant is not a word that we are usually fall into in our normal conversation. I doubt if I pressed that question to you quickly and didn't give you too much time to think about it and asked you if you'd entered into any covenants recently, you would probably look at me and say, well, no, I am, you know, what, you know, I haven't gotten in any covenants. But you have. Because uh, basically a, a covenant is an agreement or a, a contract that we enter into. That is a covenant. Uh, if you have a mortgage on your house, uh, you've entered into a covenant. Uh, if you borrowed some money to buy your car or you're leasing a car, uh, you've entered into a covenant. Uh, for all of us folks here that are married, you have entered into a covenant, a very clear covenant. Uh, an example I was, I was thinking about was, I think most of you know Wade, and Wade is into construction. And if I were to contact Wade, and I were to say to him, Wade, I'd like you to come over to my house, and I'd like you to do some work on my house. He would come over, and I would tell him, this is what I would like to have done. Uh, Wade would look it all over. He would come up with a list of materials that he would need. He would come up with a price. And he would tell me then, okay, to be able to do this work, this is how much it would cost. This is how much you would have to pay me to get it done. I could do it in this amount of time. And we would agree to go ahead and do that. Now, depending on how well he trusted me, he might just do that with a handshake or he might ask me to sign a written agreement. In either case, I've entered into a covenant with him. Now, let's say Wade starts this work. And let's say the agreement is that I pay one-third of the cost of it at the beginning. Now, that allows him to buy the materials that he needs to do the job. And then halfway through the process, I need to pay him another third. And then when he completes the job... I pay him another third. Now, let's say he begins, I pay the first third, and he's doing the work, and we come to that halfway point. And he says to me, Dick, you need to pay me the next third. And I say, well, I can't do that. Now, either I'd been deceitful with him at the beginning, and I didn't have it, or else something happened, and I didn't come up with the money, and I can't, I can't pay him is Wade obligated to continue the work? Now, does he have to complete the job? Now, you would all, everyone would say, well, no, of course not. You know, if I'm not paying him, he has no obligation to complete what he has started to do. And that's the, one of the characteristics of a covenant or an agreement, that both sides have a, a part to play in the agreement. And if one party to the covenant doesn't, do what they say they're going to do in that covenant. The other party's not obligated to complete their portion of the covenant. Now, <clears throat> there are lots of references in the scripture uh, to covenants. Uh, I'm using the English Standard Version, the ESV, and looking that up, there is over 300 references in the ESV to covenant. Uh, we won't look at all of them today. Uh, otherwise, we would be here for a few hours, so we won't do that. 
the vast majority of those references are in the Old Testament. In fact, about 90% of them are in the Old Testament. Uh, of the 300, only 32 references are in the New Testament. And of those 32 in the New Testament, 16 of them are in Hebrews. And the majority of those references are in the sections of Scripture that we're looking at right here, chapters 7, 8, 9 of Hebrews. That's where the majority of those references are. So if you're looking for some information about the new covenant or about the covenant that God has established, Hebrews is the place to look because it says quite a bit about it. Now, as I said, there's 270-some references in the Old Testament to covenant. And I would say when I, I'm going to start sharing some of those with you, and as I bring them up, you're going to say to yourself, oh, yes, yes, I know that. That's, a, that's right. That is a covenant. And just quickly, I'm going to look at some of these in the Old Testament just to give us an idea of what these covenants are like. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 9. This is not the first reference to a covenant in the Old Testament, but it is a covenant that we are very familiar with. In fact, it is a covenant that is still in effect today. In Genesis 9, in verses 8 and 9, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. And then just skip down a couple verses to verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So the next time you see a rainbow up in the sky, you can think to yourself, that's a sign of the covenant. That is a covenant that God has made with us. God has said to the earth, to every living creature on the earth, God has said, I make an agreement with you that I will not destroy the earth again by water. And here is my sign to you, my sign of the covenant that I make with you, that you can look up into the sky and see that rainbow and know that that is my covenant, my agreement with you. Turn over a few pages to Genesis chapter 17. Again, I'm not going to look at all of the various places where covenants are mentioned here in in the Scripture, but just a few, again, that are familiar, maybe familiar to you. The first one we looked at was with Noah. Now we're up to Abraham, and this is a significant covenant. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, 
for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So we have another covenant. This is, a, again, a very significant covenant. God makes some tremendous promises to Abraham here. He says, I am going to multiply you. Abraham has no children at this point. God says, I am going to multiply you so that this, you look at the sand of the sea or look at the stars in the heaven. Can you count all of those? You can't. That is how great I am going to make you. That is how many descendants that you are going to have. It is going to be such a multitude that it cannot be counted. That is what I'm going to do to you. I am going to uh, multiply you. Kings are going to come from you. Some of your descendants will be kings here on this earth. That is my promise to you. This land that you are wandering around in right now, I am going to give you this land. You and your descendants, this land is going to be yours. That, that is my promise to you. The most significant thing, though, that God promises to Abraham is, I am going to be your God. You can look at me and I am going to be your God. All these other people around you here worshiping these false gods, these gods that are not gods, they are not going to be mine, but you are mine. You are going to be my child, you are, and I am going to be your God. That is probably the most tremendous promise that God gave to Abraham. The others are very significant, and certainly Abraham was probably very grateful for those promises that were given to him. But the significance of the fact that Jehovah is going to be his God was a significant thing. And the sign that it was going, this covenant, the sign of this covenant was going to be circumcision. Uh, all of the males of Israel had to be circumcised, and this was the sign of the covenant that was going to be with him. Now, when we were reading through Hebrews, uh, Hebrews talked about the, a covenant there. And in Hebrews, they talked about, God said, the covenant that I made with your fathers when they came out of Egypt. So we got another covenant that we're going to take a look at. And you need to turn over to Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to look at another covenant. We've looked at a covenant with Noah. We've looked at a covenant with Abraham. 
And now we're going to look at a covenant with Moses. Exodus 19, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God is telling Moses that he's going to make a covenant with them. They are going to be his treasured possession. I don't know if you have a treasured possession. Maybe there's something that's been handed down in your family from generation to generation. Maybe there's something that you worked for for a very long time and now you have it. And that is, that's something you really feel passionate about. But there's some treasured possession that you have. Something that you can think of, well, that is, you know, this, I really like this. This is, I'm glad I've got this. You get some indication there what God is saying to the people of Israel. You are going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. Now, again, the idea of holy there is just set apart. You are going to be set apart for God. And again, of all these peoples that I could have chosen, I chose you. And you are going to be mine. I'm going to set you apart as mine. Now, what we're going to, what's going to follow here, we won't look at all the chapters in between, but you know what takes place next in, in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, the law begins. We have the Ten Commandments given to us here, and then the other laws and various things follow in the chapters uh, two or three chapters after that. I'm just going to ask you to flip over a couple pages, though, to Exodus 24. <clears throat> God has given Moses all this information. Moses is giving it to the people, telling them about all these laws, telling them about all these festivals, telling them all of these things that they need uh, to do. And then in Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8, then he, that's Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these Words. So with Noah, we had a sign. We had a rainbow in the sky. With Abraham, we had a sign of circumcision. We have here a sign as well with Moses, and the sign is blood. Indeed, Hebrews tells us that nothing that Moses did he was without blood. Blood was put on the people. It was put on the offerings. It was put on the Holy of Holies, it was put on everything. The significance of this covenant was blood. Now, 
this covenant, again, in a certain sense, they're building, but not as, as in a very strict sense. But they're becoming more and more significant. A whole lot of laws have been given to the people here, and it continues through Exodus, remainder of Exodus, into Leviticus, into Numbers. All these laws are given to the people. Festivals are instituted. The Israelites were expected to come at certain times of the year and bring sacrifices and to do things. All those things were instituted. A priesthood was initiated here. God established priests for the people so that they could take care of the sacrifices that the people had to give. That was another thing that was instituted, was sacrifices. Because the laws were given, and then it was obvious the people were going to fail those laws. They, they were going to come up short. What could they do then? If they, you know, God said do this, and I didn't do it. Or God said not to do this, and I did it. What, what do I do now? God made a way for them. God said, you can come with a sacrifice. Bring it to the priest. Make a sacrifice. The blood of the sacrifice will cover the sins. That was instituted. Uh, priesthood, I said, was instituted. Uh, Jim talked about this on Tuesday on the... On the um, Christmas Eve service when he talked about God with us that was also instituted a meeting place was set up where people could come and meet with God now you, you think about that that is a significant thing that God instituted God said I will be in a particular place you can come to this particular place and you can meet with me now, at the beginning, that was a tent that they carried around with them in the wilderness. Eventually, it became a temple in Jerusalem. And especially within a certain part of that tent or of that temple in the Holy of Holies, there was a place that you could meet with God. The, priest, the high priest only could come in there once a year, but he could come and you could meet with, you could meet with God. God gave direction to the people. He said, there's a pillar of fire that I'm going to give you. There's a cloud that I'm going to give you. You can follow this. I'm going to give you direction. But the most important thing that I'm going to give to you is forgiveness of sins. God said, I will forgive you. If you come to me with your sacrifice, I will forgive now, all of this, again, is, is very significant, especially when we get to the New Covenant. You can see the picture that God is giving to us here, but you can also see a problem. The problem, obviously, is the people didn't keep the covenant. The people didn't keep the agreement. The people didn't do what God said to do. They went back on their word when they said there in, in Exodus, yes, yes, Lord, everything you have said to us to do, we will do. They didn't do it. 
Now, as you read through the Old Testament, you go through this history part here at the beginning, and then you get into the other history parts of Kings and Chronicles and that sort of thing. You get into the, what we call the wisdom literature of Psalms and Proverbs, and then we come to the prophets, starting with Isaiah all the way through Malachi. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the people to tell them that you have violated my covenant. You have not kept your agreement. And basically they did that in two ways. First of all, they, they replaced God. They went after other gods. The God that took them out of Egypt, brought them into this land, the God Almighty, the great creator, the magnificent and holy God, they forsook him and went after other gods. They began worshiping Baal. They began worshiping Ashtaroth. They began worshiping the gods of the peoples round about them. And they completely forsook God. The second thing they would did, if they didn't do that, the second thing they did was they ignored God. They went through the motions of all of the things God had told them to do. They went to the temple. They made the sacrifices. They did whatever, but their heart was not in it at all. Not at all. Now, an example of the first would be Hosea. Hosea, if you recall the story of Hosea, Hosea took a wife. She was a prostitute. Hosea took her, made, him, made her his wife, gave her all the benefits of that relationship, was his wife for a while, and then went back to being a prostitute again. And God said to the people, that is you. The people would hear the story and say, well, what a wicked woman that she did. She was in this terrible condition. And this man rescued her, gave her something. And then she went back to it again. And God said, that's you. That's exactly what you did to me. I took you when you were worthless, when you had nothing, when you were in a miserable condition, and I gave you everything. And you forsook me and went back to that. The example of the next one would be Malachi. Malachi condemned the people for what they were doing. What were they doing? They were, they were bringing sacrifices. They were coming for the festivals. They were coming to the temple. They were doing, doing what the law said. But Malachi said, your heart's not in this. You're, you're shaming God. You're treating him like nothing. The law says you're supposed to bring the best sheep. You're supposed to bring the firstborn. You're supposed to bring that as a sacrifice. And instead of what the people were doing, they were looking around, oh, I got this sheep over here. He doesn't look too good. He's been coughing and he's, he's sick. And, I, you know, I, I'll take him to the, I'll take him to Jerusalem and bring him for us as a sacrifice. Malachi says, do you think God is pleased with that? Do you think God is happy with that? you think God is honored by that? God demands the best of us. 
He always demands the best. He is never satisfied with anything less than the best. And you cannot serve him in this way, Malachi said. So we had a problem. Uh, we've, we've got this old covenant. Uh, it, God makes some tremendous promises in that covenant. They're going to be a treasured possession. They're going to be a holy nation. But the people failed. And in the course of that, in the prophecies in the Old Testament, comes this section that we're looking at in Hebrews, which is just a direct quote from Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, God says through Jeremiah to the people, I'm going to establish a new covenant. In the future, there is going to be a new covenant coming, not like the old one that I established with you folks, but a new one that is going to take place. Something better than this old covenant. Now, you combine that with the promises also in the Old Testament that there's going to be a new king coming. This king is going to be like David, only better than David. He is going to be a great and mighty king. He is going to be a righteous and holy king. He is going to lead the people in the right way and do the right things. And this king you are going to love. So the people of Israel are looking at these two promises that have been made to them. That there's going to be a king coming. Oh, a great and glorious king that's going to lead them. But also there's going to be a new covenant coming. A better covenant than the old one. Okay, let's take a back to Hebrews. <clears throat> All of this is background for Hebrews. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews talks about Christ. If you want to understand who Christ is, if you want to get a better picture of Christ, you read Hebrews. Now, I understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will also tell you, yes, we'll tell you about Christ, tell you about what he did. But Hebrews tells us many things about Christ. Hebrews tells us that he's the son of God. Hebrews tells us because he's the son of God, he's the heir of God. He's entitled to all of the things that God has. The inheritance is his because he is the son of God. It tells us, Hebrews tells us that he's the creator. He, nothing that was made in the world was made in, unless it was made through Christ. Hebrews tells us that he's the radiance of God, that you can look at Christ and you can see God the Father. The radiance of, of God is in Christ. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Uh, you, I challenge you sometime to think about that. Think about how huge that is. I mean... There isn't a scientist in the world that can tell you how big the universe is because they have no idea. All we know is it's, you know, beyond comprehension. There are trillions and trillions and trillions, and you can pick a number this big of stars out there, galaxies out there. 
He holds all that in his hand. He holds it all there. He's seated at the right hand of God, meaning he's seated in the place of power and authority. He's superior to the angels, Hebrews tells us. You can think about how great the angels are. He is superior to them in every way. Tells us that he is the Savior. That we can look to him for hope and for help and that he will save us. Tells us that he is greater than Moses. Now, for a Jew to hear that, for an Israelite to hear that, that is some statement. Because if you ask them, who were the two greatest Jews of all time? They would probably say David and Moses. Here is someone that is greater than Moses. He is also a high priest, Hebrews tells us. Now, when the writer to Hebrews says that, though, he has got a problem. Because what's the problem? Because what the Old Covenant, what does the Old Covenant say? The Old Covenant says that a priest can what? Only come from the tribe of Levi. Christ did not come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that he is the king. He is that one that was promised. He is that new king that is coming, that descendant of David that was promised. He is that king. He will be that eternal king. He is that great and mighty king. Well, if you're king, you can't be priest. Because again, the king comes from Judah and the priests come from Levi. But Hebrews says we have a new covenant. And this new covenant has priests, has a priest, <clears throat> only one priest. And that priest doesn't come from Levi. Hebrews tells us that this priest comes by the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a contemporary of Abraham. You have to go all the way back there. And Abraham comes back from a war, and he's got spoil with him. And he comes to Salem, and there's a king and priest there in Salem by name of Melchizedek. And Abraham honors him by giving him a tithe of everything that he has. Hebrews says Christ is a priest on the order of Melchizedek, not on the order of Levi. And as Melchizedek had no beginning and no end, there's really no history there given to Melchizedek. We don't know who his father was or if he had children. We don't know him before. We don't know him afterwards. But he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. There is a new covenant that is coming into place. And that new covenant changes things. It makes some things different. Some things are the same. And Christ is a priest of that new covenant. He is a forever priest. That is the difference between the Old Covenant and this New Covenant. 
Because in the Old Covenant, the priest died and the new priest had to take his place and another priest and another priest and another. This new covenant, there's only one priest. He lives forever. We can come to him as our priest and he is always there. He will never change. So we have priests or a priest just as we did in the Old Covenant. But what about sacrifices? There were sacrifices in the Old Covenant. Is there sacrifices in the New Covenant? And Hebrews tells us, yes, but there's only one again. Only one sacrifice this time. Because in the Old, old Covenant, if I, I knew I had done something wrong and I took this animal and I took it to the priest and he sacrificed and the blood covered my sin, and I walked out of the temple and I, and I met Alan out there on the street and we got into an argument and I sinned, what would I have to do? I'd have to turn around, go right back into the temple and make another sacrifice. This new covenant, there is only one sacrifice. Because it, the blood of bulls and goats as Hebrews says, cannot take away sin. There had to be a better sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice that would be complete, that would do everything in one sacrifice. And we had that sacrifice in Christ. He willingly went to the cross and willingly died, taking the sin that we had all of the sin, all of my past sin, all of my future sin, he took it all on himself, endured the wrath of God on my behalf, and completed it. I am forgiven. I am completely forgiven. I am forever forgiven. Those sins have been completely taken care of in that once and, for, once and for all sacrifice. Does God still meet with us? Well, again, if you were here Tuesday night, Jim stole my thunder there. Yes, he does. He still meets with us. Do we have to go to the temple? Do we, is that why you're here today? Is you're coming here because you, this is where God is and you come to meet with God here today. No, 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 no. What does Hebrews tell us? God says, I will write my laws on their heart. I, I will be with them. I will dwell among them. If you're here today and if if you've confessed Christ as your Savior, you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins, you're trusting in Him alone for your salvation, I can tell you on the basis of the authority of the Word of God that God dwells within you. He is in us. We don't have to go anywhere to meet with God. God is meeting with us. He is in us. He is part of us. He is there for us at all times. What a tremendously better covenant. I don't have to go to Jerusalem to the temple to meet with God. God meets with me. 
God is... Okay. <clears throat> does God still give direction? God still does. Partly through this, mainly through this, I should say that. Mainly through this. Through his word, he gives us continuous, continuous, give us clear direction. Through his Holy Spirit within us, he gives clear direction. We can ask him, what, God, what do you want me to do? He will make that clear to us. I mentioned that at the beginning. Whenever I'm in a situation like that and I'm asked to speak, what do I do? I go to God. Lord, tell me what I'm supposed to say. Tell me what you want me to say to these people. We can go to him for direction. We can, and he clearly gives it to us. Uh, James again says, if anybody lacks wisdom, what do they do? Just ask. God will give it. God is not a mean God. God is not a God that's looking to punish us or to smack us on the hand. You know, say, well, why did you come asking me that? You should know better than that. God will never say that. God wants us to come to him. He does give clear direction to us. He does tell us what he wants us to do. Are there laws? Yes, there still are. There are still laws that he gives us. <clears throat> but again, as I said before, these times, they're on our minds and on our hearts. God says, I'm going to write my laws within their, their minds and on their hearts. What God is doing is he's changed. The change is what is taking place in us. Now, I can look at God's word and it does tell me, you know, I'm not discounting that. I can read that. There's things there that I can learn and discern from reading God's word. But the main thing regarding God's laws is there's the Holy Spirit of God within me that is convicting me. And I'm sure most all of us here can probably give testimony to that that we were doing something and we were thinking about doing something and some voice within us began saying, you know, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us, pointing us back to God's word, pointing us to what he wants us to do. So Hebrews concludes here, doesn't conclude, but in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 22, it says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This is a whole lot better covenant than the first one. Now, the first one, though, was a picture. And you can see, again, as you go through the old covenant, you can see the picture that's there of this new covenant that's coming. You can see the sacrifices. You can see the purpose of the sacrifices. You can see what that means in the new covenant. All of this is a better covenant than what we had before. Now, some of you may be sitting there saying to yourself, oh, fine, that's a nice theological discussion or a nice theological argument or whatever, but what does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? What does the new covenant mean to me? Well, Hebrews spells this out very clearly here. Take a look at Hebrews 8.10. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. 
We've talked about that a little bit already, but we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We can rejoice that those laws are on our hearts and minds. We can rejoice in the fact that God is within us. He that has begun a good work in you will what? He will complete it. In a certain sense, we cannot break this new covenant because God is giving us the ability, the power to complete the covenant. Now, that doesn't say that we won't sin or that we won't violate God's laws in some point. But what we turn to him, we ask him for forgiveness, he forgives. We can rest assured in the hope that we will see him one day. We will stand before his presence. We will be part of that great cloud of witnesses that are going to be there. And it's not going to be because of my determination. I am going to stick it through. I am going to complete it. I am No, it's because of what God is doing. He is writing those laws in my heart and mind. He is changing me to be more like Christ. Verse 10 also says, And I will be their God. Again, that promise that came back to Abraham and then again to Moses. What a tremendous promise that is. I think as Christians, sometimes we fail to think about that. Think about that great and mighty and awesome God that we have. He is our God. Now, the Old Testament contrasted it to these stones and pieces of wood and we, in fact, we talked about that in the uh, Bible study uh, class last week. Uh, Isaiah mocking the people. said, you, you go out into the woods and you cut down this tree and you bring it back home and you cut it up and you build a fire with it and cook your food and you take part of the tree and you make an idol out of it. And Isaiah said, this, basically, I said, this is stupid. It is. It's a tree. We serve the living God. He is our God. Verse 10 says, we are his people. <clears throat> Again, you just think about that. Think about the fact that he, we are his people. Now, I, I don't know if everyone here is an American citizen. I trust that I think probably everybody is. You can think of it in that light. You can think about the benefits that you have as an American. Why do we have such an immigration problem here in this country? People want to come here. They want to be Americans. They want to be part of this. They want to experience the benefits that we have as Americans. We are the people of God. We are, we are so much better off than an American. In fact, the scripture tells us what? I'm not an American citizen. What? My citizenship is in heaven. I've, I've got a greater citizenship than that. 8.11 says, We will know him. We will know him. 
just quickly, I got to do it quickly because Jill has got me on a time limit here. So I've got to do. She's going to get me afterwards for saying that. John 10, uh, verses 1 through 5. Jesus speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Skip down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. When you were and I were lost in our sin, God came to us and He spoke to us. He began calling us out. And that voice that we heard, we knew. We knew that that was God. We knew that we should follow that voice. We knew he was the good shepherd. We knew we were one of his sheep. We will know him. Hebrews 8.12 says, We have forgiveness of sins. And I've talked about that a little bit already, but what, what a tremendous blessing. You can talk to people out there in the world that are just struggling with guilt, struggling with things that they've done in the past, that they are sorry for, that they regret. Looking for forgiveness is what they're seeking. We have been forgiven. I don't know what you have done in your past. You don't know what I've done in my past. But I can tell you again, based on the authority of the Scripture, you are forgiven. You have been forgiven for all of it. And you might be thinking, oh, this horrible thing that I did. I I can't imagine God would forgive me for that. He has. It's not the greatness of our sin, what it's the greatness of our Savior. We have a new covenant. It, It is a tremendous covenant. It is a tremendous agreement God has made with us. We are so blessed as his people. We need to rejoice. We need to give thanks to him for that that great covenant. Let me pray. Our Father, we do thank you for that great covenant. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you that you hear us now, that we are your people, that you are our God. Lord, we rejoice in the many blessings that you have provided for us. Lord, we just pray that we would be a faithful people, that you would use us in a mighty way, that we as a church here in this community be be faithful in our testimony to the people around about us, and we would ask that your spirit would move in a great way with great power. 
We thank you that we've had this time together this morning to look into your word. We thank you for what it teaches us, the things that you have told us today. Most of all, Lord, we, I thank you and believe you that you have answered my prayer at the beginning, that you have spoken to hearts here today. And for each one of us, that we have heard from you this day. And we praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.